This morning, you guys get the privilege, I hope, of hearing from me instead of Scott, because Scott is actually helping out in kids' life. Um, we are um, excited about the privilege of having so many kids that even the pastor sometimes has to go back and, uh, and love on our kids. And so that's where he's at this morning. Um, but I'm excited for the opportunity to get to share what God's put on my heart this week. Um, and it's, it's, it's been so cool to kind of watch this week play out because when I started studying for this, I had no idea that we were going to have baptism this morning. Um, Scott loves to drop stuff on me last minute. Is you know, oh, by the way, like on Thursday, we're, we're gonna do baptism this week. So if you could help me get some of this stuff out and stuff ready. I said, man, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome that, that we're gonna start with baptism. It's awesome that we get to see at the beginning of, of God's word and at the beginning of, of worship, believers testify openly to the faith that's within them. It's amazing to see that, that they would be bold enough to, to take a step out and kind of drop some pride and, and to, to stand in front of all these people and profess that Jesus Christ has done a work in their life. And some have, have been saved for a while and, and just felt like it was, this, it was the time to, to baptize, get baptized now. But either way, for them to have that courage and for them to have the boldness to stand in front of all these people is amazing. And it's a testament to what's going on in their life. And, and the cool thing about baptism is it, it marks this beginning for each person that, that goes through it. It's the beginning of a journey. Because it's, it's after baptism, after we make that profession of faith that, that really God releases us to go do the ministry that he's got before us. It's after salvation and after baptism that God really sends us out. And, and the even more ironic thing is, is we started with baptism physically, but this morning we're gonna start with baptism in the scripture as well. Um, it's just, it's so cool that, that God would line this up as perfectly as he did. Um, what we're gonna do is, is, Scott's been preaching about Peter for the last two weeks and he hit on um, the fact that, that God showed him in this great vision that there is no one and, and nothing that's unclean that he is called um, clean and perfect and whole. And so what God is telling him is that the Gentiles are just as much as part, a part of, of salvation and his love as, as the Jewish people are. And we, we focused on that for the last two weeks, but we skipped over a little piece in chapter nine. We, we, we talked about Peter for a little bit, but we kind of left Paul back in chapter nine. So we're gonna spend the majority of our time in, in Acts chapter nine this morning, but just to give you fair warning, I'm gonna be all over the place a little bit scripturally this morning because Paul, even though I love him, likes to make things complicated and his testimony is at about seven different places. Um, so we're gonna be spending some time in Corinthians and in Galatians. Um, but we pick up with, with Paul um, and you, you kind of see him first mentioned, just a, a little recap back in, Chapter seven, after the stoning of, of Stephen, you read it in chapter seven, verse 58, and it says, as Stephen was being stoned, the people laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And you see, and from there, he went off and persecuted the church with, with zeal, with this, this passion, because he saw the church, the Christians, as something that was adamantly against what the God of the universe would, would have them do. It was blasphemy. And so he spent all of his time trying to eradicate 
the church to the point of, of getting permission from the high priest to go and put women and children and men in jail and, and he tried everything he could. And from that, the church was scattered for the first time. The church had been centrally located in Jerusalem. And once the persecution started, they scattered everywhere. And this made it more challenging for Paul to, to snuff out the, the Christians because they were, they were now spread. Um, so you don't hear anything about him for, um, but just for a second, chapter eight. And then we move to chapter nine. And chapter nine changes everything. And not just for Paul, not just for the church, but for all of eternity. Because in chapter nine, Paul meets Christ. Since the church had been scattered, he, he, he got letters from the high priest and he, he heads off to Damascus and on that road he sees this blinding light. He sees this blinding light and he has this encounter with Jesus and, and from that moment on, Jesus had him. Jesus had entered his life and, and radically changed him and so he spends three days fasting in in Damascus and this man named Ananias goes to him and, and lays hands on him and prays for him. And at that moment, Paul gets his, his eyesight back and he's strengthened. And from that point on, the world and the church would never be the same. Nothing about anything would be the same because a man that used to be the greatest enemy of the church is about to become the greatest leader of the church. It was that conversion that Paul's true journey started. You see, the same thing is, is true for every person in this room today. You know, you may have lived a long life or a short life before the point that, that, that Jesus encountered you for those that are Christians. But I want, what I want you to realize is that at that point, for anybody that professes Christ, for anybody that claims Jesus is, is their Lord and Savior, it was at that point that you started the greatest journey that you ever would embark on. Nothing before that would ever compare. Nothing, no, not even your greatest achievement could compare to what Jesus Christ had in front of you. What his plan and what his purpose is would never, it's, it's so much greater on the other end. But it's, it's my fear this morning that a lot of us are stuck at the starting line of our adventure. It's my fear that we, we've spent this time and, and we've, we've moved in, in our life and we've gotten to the point of salvation and then we've sat still some of us for many, many years, some of us for maybe just a, a few weeks, a few months, but I believe that there's many people in the church, and not just this church, I'm talking the, the big C church that are stagnant and sitting still, and I, I don't necessarily think that's, that's all our fault or your fault, because I feel like a lot of people have no idea how to move on from that point on. It's, the church culture for years has been get them saved, get them in a church, and then good luck. Scott preached the message on that a few weeks back, you know the one where he was throwing Cheetos at the baby? Um, best visual I think he's ever done. I think it tops the Barbie from the hat. Um, but we do, that's what church culture is and we, we leave them sitting there and, and, and maybe you've been left sitting there with nobody to guide you going forward. Nobody to give you an example of, of what was next. How do I go from 
brand new Christian to somebody that's on fire for God, on fire for Christ, doing the mission that he's given me? How do I even know what my purpose is? What do I do? What are my next steps to get from first saved to out there on mission with God? So I don't think it's necessarily our fault. But this morning, what I want you to do as we look at the life of Paul, we're gonna look at his story from conversion to his commission to be a missionary. And what I want you to do is I want you to look at these steps and figure out where it is that you are in this process. Because I believe that as we look at Paul's life, Saul, as he starts out, um, I'm gonna do that back and forth with the same person, Saul, Paul, he gets his name changed in chapter 13, which I'll hit on, but forgive me because it's hard to keep track of. Um, But I believe in Paul's life, we see these stepping stones that get him to where he was, to where he changed the shape of the lost world forever. And so I just wanna look at those. I wanna look at his conversion to his commission, but I'm gonna pray first and then we'll dive into the scriptures. Father, I just wanna thank you for this opportunity. God, it's, it's an amazing thing that you would take me as somebody that's super anxious and, and has a horrible past. God, and you would use me in my broken state, in my unworthy state, my sinful state, and you would say, you know what? I'm gonna use you to share the gospel, and I'm gonna use you to, to shepherd. I'm gonna use you to, to be a part of the greatest piece of work that's ever been accomplished. I, I get to be just a small piece of that, and that's, that's so humbling. Father, I'm just, I'm thankful for this opportunity, God, and I'm, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful that you would, you would lay out a testimony of a, of a great man, a juggernaut of faith. God, you would lay it out so perfectly in, 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 in steps so that we can follow right after it. Father, you told us to be imitators of, of Christ, and Paul says, as I imitate Christ, imitate me, and so he's given us this example, God, and I pray that this morning that people that are struggling with their faith would find hope. God, I, I pray for people that feel lost and feel like they, they have no connection with you. I pray that you would give them hope and you would give them guidance. God, for somebody that's sitting in this audience that just says, I don't know what my next step is, God, I pray that you would give them that next step. God, that you would give hope and you would give peace and you would give encouragement in this room today. God, that you would start with me. God, you would calm nerves and you would calm fears. God, and you would help me speak the word the way that you would have it spoken. God, that every word out of my mouth would be your words, not mine. So Father, just be with us this morning. God, fill this place with your spirit. God, give us wisdom and understanding and knowledge. God, to the point that it penetrates our heart and causes us to move. God, so I love you, and I'm excited to see what you're going to do this morning. In your name I pray. Amen. Awesome. So we're going to start um, in, in Acts chapter 9. And, and I, I need to stress this heavily, because I think that it's very easy to miss. Everyone, including Saul, their, their journey has to start at conversion, and what I mean by this is they, they've got to have this moment where they encounter Jesus Christ. Because it's not okay to just be sitting in church for forever and go, you know what, today's the day, I'm gonna go do something for Jesus. It's not how it works. 
You have to have that moment of conversion. You have to have that moment where Jesus Christ shows up and shows you your old self, shows you the sin in your life, shows you what, it, what, what you actually are in light of who he is. There's gotta be that moment in your life that you can look back and say, Jesus Christ met me here. That was the point of my salvation. There has to be that moment of conversion. Because if not, then he can't use you because you're not his. I know that sounds a little harsh, but I, I need you guys to understand that he can't reveal your purpose if you're not his. He's not listening to your prayers for guidance if you're not his. He's not gonna move in you to go share the gospel if you're not his. Until you become a child of God, your journey cannot start. Your journey can't start unless you have met Christ. And that's exactly what happened in nine. I know I kind of briefly read over it, but I wanna hit it one more time. We find Paul's conversion story in the first part of chapter nine, starting in verse three. And Paul's on his way to go um, drag people to jail and, 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 and to cause more havoc on the church. And it says in verse three, it says, now as he went up on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But arise and enter the city and you will be told what to do, what you're to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. And Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drink. And then after that, God speaks to Ananias, a disciple from Damascus, and he tells him, look, I need you to go to Saul because he's waiting for you. He's seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming to, to lay hands on him and give him back his sight. And there's, a, there's kind of a discussion because Ananias doesn't really want to go, but he goes anyways. And he goes and in, in verse, um, verse 17, he says, says, so Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. You see, in that moment, Paul realized that he was an enemy of God. He realized that even though his zeal and his passion for protecting the church and protecting God was, was so on fire that he was placing it in the wrong direction that actually the truth was that Jesus Christ really was the son of God. He was wrong. And so what he did, he, he was on his mission. He was dead set on his mission and God met him and turned him a complete 180 and changed his life. It took God having to knock Saul on his face before he would realize that Jesus Christ really was the Son of God. And so he spends three days blind, soul searching, and then Ananias comes in and prays for him. And you know, I, I love this symbolism because while Paul was physically blinded in that moment, 
and then he was physically given sight. There's also a spiritual connection that was made. He was spiritually blind his entire life and in that moment, in that moment that he regained his eyesight, he also gained spiritual insight. He, his eyes were open to the realities of Jesus and he was open to, to the truth that Jesus Christ really was the son of God and his physical eyes were open and his spiritual eyes were opened as well. So Paul had this moment where Jesus knocked him to the ground and said, I am the only way, I am the truth, and I am the life. You have to believe in me. And so that, at that point, Paul gets up and is baptized, and Paul then starts his journey to becoming one of the greatest men that we ever knew. Chapter, 19 starting in, or chapter 9, starting in 19. The next thing that Paul had to do, he was converted, he had his moment, and the next thing that Paul understands he has to do is he's got to spend some time in the word studying and spending time with Jesus. And we, we see that in the next few verses and, and in a piece of Galatians. We, we read in chapter nine, verse 19, it says, in taking food, he was strengthened. Now for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. It's, it's interesting. In verse 22, it says that Paul increased, in all the more, Paul increased all the more in strength than he confounded the Jews. But what you don't see is that there was more that happened in these scriptures. This is one of those things where I'm gonna jump a little bit. We're gonna jump over to Galatians chapter one. In this moment, Luke leaves out that there is a three-year time period in these verses. That it wasn't just bang, 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 where he's sharing the gospel and he grew in strength and then he um, debated with the people in Damascus and everything was good. There's actually a three-year time period that we don't find out until we look in Galatians chapter one. It says in Galatians chapter one, verse 11 it says for i would have you know brothers that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel for i did not receive it from any man nor was i taught it but i received it through the revelation of jesus christ for you have heard of my former life in judaism how i persecuted the church of god violently and tried to destroy it and i was advancing in judaism beyond many of my own age among my people so extremely zealous was i for the traditions of my fathers but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who had called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to, to visit Cephas and remain with him for 15 days. You see, in that moment, in between those verses, Paul makes this decision. He's been saved. He's surrounded by disciples in Damascus and he's, he knows that there's, there's apostles in Jerusalem and he says, you know what I'm gonna do? Instead of immediately going after everything, I've got to go spend some time with God. And what he does is he goes off into Arabia, which is not like Saudi Arabia these days. It's actually just a little bit outside of Damascus, but it was wilderness. It was mountains, it was desert. And there were a few people in the population, but not many. And so you see Paul wander into 
this desolate place. And right before this, Paul says he didn't learn anything from man. He wasn't taught by any of the disciples. He, wasn't, he, he didn't learn the same way that, that another disciple did. It says he was taught by Jesus through revelation. It's many scholars' thoughts that it was in these moments in the wilderness when Jesus taught him the profound things that he knew. That's why Paul could speak so boldly about the mystery of the gospel in his, in his epistles. And he could speak so fluently and, and, and say the things that were, were deep and they're hard to understand. He, he spent time by himself in the wilderness. Paul knew that there had to be a time of meditating on God's word. There had to be a time right after his salvation. He, he realized that what he already knew was not enough which is crazy to me because he had the entire Old Testament memorized and could quote it and could, could use it. And it, it even says he was passing all the people his own age and, and his knowledge and his understanding of the word. And yet he still knew that he had to get alone out in the wilderness to be with God. And so I'm sure he packed up his trusty Old Testament in his book bag and wandered out there and, and him and Jesus spent time together. It's this three-year span, and, and, and not to say that he didn't evangelize, because over in, in 2 Corinthians, it, it talks about how the king that was kind of over that area really didn't like Paul either, because he was stirring up some trouble. So he's doing a little bit of both, but in those moments, right after his conversion, Paul knew that he had to get alone with God. All of his past wasn't enough. He had to spend time meditating. So after that, after he studied, after he spent time with God trying his best to understand and, and receiving visions and receiving understanding, we look back at chapter nine of Acts. It's like Bible study drills in here. I used to do it as a kid. Um, we pick it back up in, in chapter nine, verse 22. So like I said, three years happens in between this these verses, it says, I'll say it in 22, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. And when many days had passed, which is the conclusion of this three-year period of time, the Jews plotted to kill him. But when their plot was made known to Saul, they were watching the gates, or, and their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him through a window in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And just a little side note, I think it's extremely ironic that Paul probably rode in on a horse with all this pride and all this, this power and, and all this privilege and he could do whatever he wanted to. And the man that was so high when he walked in had to get lowered out of a window on his way out. Just a little side note, I think that's interesting. Um, very humbling experience for Paul at that moment. And so after leaving Damascus, verse 26, it says, when I when I'd come up to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the, the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he, was, he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. And so 
though Paul didn't ask for this, the next thing that he had to go through was hardships. The next thing that Paul had to do in his life was, was have his faith tested. You see, in Damascus, as he's sharing the gospel and is excited about it and has that, that new emotion about Jesus and the fact that he's done so much in his life, everything is happening good. And then all of a sudden, this plot is formed because he has made the people in Damascus angry. And so he was met with opposition. I'm sure in that moment, he was met with a choice. Okay, do I continue to preach the gospel? Or do I deny it? And Paul could never deny it. So he met opposition from the lost world in, in Damascus. He was pushed and, and, and his life was threatened. And so he moved to Jerusalem. And it's, it's crazy to me that after fleeing Damascus and, and having all that persecution there, he comes to the place that he probably longed to be. That's where the apostles were. That's where, that's where the church had started. That's where the great men that had actually walked with Jesus were. And so he, he rolls into Jerusalem, excited about seeing them. And the thing that happens to him is the door is shut at the church. So not only does the lost world not want anything to do with, with Saul, but they don't want anything to do with him in the church, the body of believers. So he, he meets not only hardship from the world, but he meets hardship from his fellow believers because nobody believed him. They thought that this was just his new way of, of infiltrating the church, that this was gonna be his way, that he was gonna drag people away. So the church, before they'd even got to know Paul, burned him, just a little bit, I'm sure. All he wanted to do was, was be a part, and, and the way that this is worded and if you look at the Greek, it's it, when he says that he attempted to join the disciples, it's this word that means repeatedly attempted. Over and over and over, did, did, I'm sure Paul pled his case and, and maybe even pled it at the door of, 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 of the church and, and shared his, tried to share his truth, but they repeatedly would not let him in for fear of what he could do. And so Paul, probably at that moment, felt completely isolated because not only had he lost all the people in a worldly sense, but at that moment, I'm sure it felt like he'd lost even the people that he was supposed to have as friends and as brothers and sisters in Christ. But there's hope for Paul because this guy by the name of Barnabas shows up and gives him a chance. We, we find Barnabas back in, in chapter four and, and Barnabas is the one that, that started seeing needs in, the, in, in their, their little community and, and said, you know what, I've got some land, I'll sell it. And I'll give all the proceeds to the church to make sure that everybody has enough. It's a story right before Ananias and Sapphira where God took them out because they lied to the Holy Spirit. Barnabas was the first person that you kind of see show up and, and really be this giving servant kind of man. It says later on that he was a man full of the Holy Spirit, full of kindness, full of grace. So Barnabas gives him a chance, listens to his story, and then he goes and he vouches for Paul. He pulls him up and, and brings him to Peter and, and tells his story for him and, and shares what God has done in his life and the fact that he's doing amazing things for the gospel. And, and at that point, Peter accepts the word of Barnabas and, and Paul now has freedom to go in and out in the community. And so Paul is... is able to go and he shared the gospel. But 
soon after that, the Hellenists, which is, is just ironic because if you'll remember back at Stephen where Paul was helping them stone Stephen, it was the Hellenist that they were arguing against. And so the Hellenists were, were Greek-speaking Jews and the first, thought, or the first vision they had of, of Paul is, is he's helping them stone a man for the way and then the next time they see him, he is preaching ferociously the gospel that that man died for. It's just it's funny how God spins things full circle that the one people that are your enemies at one point become the people that you fight for. And so Paul kind of takes up the mantle of Stephen and kind of continues his work there. But Paul had to face these hardships from both the outside world and the church world. So after he's, he's converted, after his salvation, he goes off and he studies and then he faces hardship. And the next thing we see is that Saul is called away. If you look at Verse 30, it says, and when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. But we find out in Acts 22 that a little bit more happened. If you'll turn there for me, I'm just gonna read just a few verses. Acts 22, verses 17 through 21. This is another time that Paul is pleading his case and sharing his testimony about what has happened in his life. And here's that just more detail starting in verse 17 chapter 22 17 says when I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me and I said Lord they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you and when the blood of Stephen your witness was shed I myself was standing there approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him and he said to me go for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. You see hardship and, and it looks and appears if you just read chapter nine that he, he fled because of the persecution but there's, there's another piece of this that we have to take in encounter. God sent Paul away. Now there were some hardship, there were some things that were coming against his life but it was God's mission and God's perfect sovereignty in, in Paul's path that he was sending him away. And he would send them to the Gentile world, back home even. It says they were sent to Tarsus and that's where Paul was originally from. Because this was gonna be the path that God would have him on. And I'm, I'm sure for Paul, getting sent back home is probably a, a kick in the pants. You know, you don't wanna ever do that. I, I remember when I, when I tried to go to um, North Greenville for a year, some stuff happened and I had to move back home. I felt like a failure. I felt like I hadn't done enough. I haven't, you know, I've messed up. I've made a mistake. I've, I've done too much or I've said something too wrong. And there's, there's situations that made me feel awful about having to come back home. And so maybe for Paul, that was in his mindset. And that's just me thinking out loud about it. But Paul has a great attitude because once he gets there, he goes and he starts spreading the gospel to the Gentile world. And, and it's, it's also interesting to, to take into account once he got home, Paul would have lost everything because as a Christian coming back to his Jewish roots, his Jewish family, they would not have accepted him. Paul talks about in Corinthians how he had lost everything, absolutely everything for the sake of the gospel, family, property. And so Paul goes to the Gentile world and to Tarsus and he, he kind of travels around a little bit and Paul is by himself until he meets with fellow believers and he starts to share the gospel. And we see that um, in chapter 11. Of Acts. Sorry, I know I'm jumping around a little bit, but I, I hope by the end of this, this all comes together. Um, so Paul is, 
is sent home. And, and it's awesome because this is where Barnabas once again finds Paul and helps push him on his next step. Chapter 11, starting in verse 19, says this. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And at the hand of the Lord, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they, went, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he had came, he saw the grace of God and was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus looking for Saul because what had happened is the church had grown so big that one man couldn't handle it. And so Barnabas said, you know what, I need help. I need help. And, and I know Paul is kind of out here and I, that's the man that I want for the job. And so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for, look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. You see, Paul was called away due to hardship, but he was also called away because God, in his perfect mission, knew that he was going to be a missionary to the Gentile world, and so that's where he sent him. So this, this thing that may have looked to Paul like, like a, a, a backstep or that he'd taken a few steps back actually was for the purpose that God intended. It was actually for what God wanted to do with him in the first place because he ordained him to walk that way, to be in the perfect place at the perfect time that when Barnabas came years later, and it was like seven years later he spent out there in, in the Gentile world. It was that long, that, but he was in perfect spot because when Barnabas needed him, when the church needed him, when it was God's perfect timing, Barnabas shows up. Barnabas shows up and, and, and meets Paul and says, Paul, you've been doing a great work out here. God has been using you. But it's time to come help me in Antioch because there's a movement growing here. I need you to help me shepherd these people. And so all that Paul had learned, all that Paul had been a part of, he took with him to Antioch. And they spent a year there building up the saints and, and the church grew and, and multiplied and it became a super strong church. It's one of the strongest churches that, that, that came and it was positioned perfectly because it was this center of all this trade for Roman traffic. And so it was a big city a pagan city, and, and because of the work that Barnabas did and because Paul came in behind him, that church flourished. That church flourished. So Paul does that. He's gone for, for seven years, and, and this is about 10 years later. Paul finally comes back to the church and is commissioned to be a missionary. Chapter 13, verses one through three. It says, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So Paul is on this 10 to 11 year journey from the time that he started 
at, at baptism, at, at conversion, when he finally met Christ, that to 10 years later is when he finally sees his purpose and what God was ultimately gonna call him to. Through hardships and, and through, through tough times, he, he continued in the path of God. He continued to walk the way that he was supposed to walk. And, and it was 10 years later that, that God kindly, finally revealed, Paul, you are going to be a missionary to the Gentile world. That's where I'm gonna send you. That's what I'm gonna use you for. That's what your life purpose is gonna be. And Paul ended up making several mission trip journeys throughout that region, starting church and setting up churches and, and going back and discipling. It's is where you get his letters to the churches. Paul did a fantastic work. And the crazy thing is, is in those trips, he discipled people that would disciple people that would disciple people all the way down to the people that discipled the people in this room. Because a man was willing to start his journey and, and face all these things and do it the right way, he won people to Christ that would eventually win the people sitting in this room to Christ. One man changed the world because he was obedient through his steps from his conversion to understanding that he needed to spend time with God studying and, and through facing hardships from the outside world and from the church to being called away and then finally, to being commissioned by God to go be a missionary. And I know it was, a, it was a lot of flipping back and forth, but what I want you guys to see this morning is that path that Paul walked is the exact same path that, that we have to walk. So I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what your testimony is. I don't know if you even have a testimony. But if you ever want to get to the place where God has revealed his purpose to you, if you ever wanna to get to the place where you can truly be effective for the gospel, if you ever wanna to get to the place where you can move and, and do things for Jesus Christ in the exact place and exact will, you have to follow those same steps. First one being that you have to become saved, that you have to allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life, to open up your eyes to the fact that you are lost and the only way that you're ever gonna do anything, the only way that you're gonna have hope, the only way that you're ever gonna have eternal life, it's not by church, it's not by knowing the right people, it's not by being good enough, but it's a relationship with Jesus Christ. The step one for everybody, I don't care who you are or how good you think you are, step one is Jesus knocking you on your face, making you realize the sinner that you are, and then him revealing the greatness and the glory and the power and the strength of who he is. That's step one. And my fear, my fear church, is that a ton of the church stops right there because nobody's willing to take the next step, which is studying, just spending time with God. I, I, I would put it like this. If you're not willing to spend time with God, then he's never gonna push you to do things for God. If you're not willing to, in your quietness, in, in, in the place where you're safe and secure, if you're not willing to take your Bible and read, if you're not willing to seek somebody out to help teach you about the word of God, if you're not able to do those small, simple things, then God's never gonna use you past that. And like I said, church, I don't think it's necessarily some of our fault, but here's the thing. That responsibility sits on us to go find the people to teach us to pick up the Bible, to pick up helps, to seek somebody out that's farther than you. And, it, it, and I, I tell you this too, it's also the responsibility of the people that have already learned to do it to turn around and pour back into somebody else. The Bible is a hard thing to understand and if you understand it, then you need to be seeking somebody out that you know that doesn't. 
Christians, we have got to spend time in the word because you cannot effectively minister for Christ if you don't know him. You can't do anything for God if you don't know who he is. So there's got to be that time of studying and, and spending time with Jesus and just meditating on what already, he's already said to you and what you already know. There's got to be that part. And then for some of us that have moved past that part, I think the next section that stops all of us is hardships. You know, we're not brave enough to face the outside world or we've been burned by somebody in the outside world or somebody told us that they didn't wanna hear us or, or somebody was a little aggressive to us when we, we tried to share the gospel and so we quit. We don't ever do it again. But the worst thing I think that happens is people will use the excuse that church people have burned them too bad to ever do anything for Jesus. I've got news for you, church. You're not working for the church, you're working for Jesus. It doesn't matter what somebody else did to you because you know what? They're sinners and they're lost and they need them just as much as you do. People make mistakes, people have issues, people have sin issues in their life that they're having struggles to get over too. Show grace, show forgiveness because I guarantee you no matter what anybody's done to you in the church, we've done far greater to Jesus Christ and he still loves you. We let hardships, we let things that come up against us terrify us to the point that, oh, I can't do anything for Jesus now. I'm just gonna sit on my pew and I'm not gonna do anything anymore. Paul would have never become the great man of God had he not moved past those hardships and, you sit and, and said, you know what? I will do anything for the sake of the gospel. My life is of no use. My life is nothing. Nothing that I own is worth anything, but I count it all lost for the sake of the gospel the sake of winning somebody that's, that's out there that doesn't know Jesus because the joy that resonated in his heart, he needed other people to get and understand. So no lost person, no church person, no anything could stand in his way. He was gonna press on. He was gonna press on. Hardships should never be what stops us from presenting the gospel because a temporary hardship is not worth, worth the eternal hardship of somebody spending eternity in hell. It's just not. And the next thing we have to be okay with is moving. Being sent somewhere that maybe that we don't want to go. And I'm not just preaching to you guys this morning, I'm preaching to me because Brenton, I'll just add a little bit, has been pressuring me to go to Nepal with him talking about how amazing it is. I'm horrified of airplanes. I had a bad first experience. I spent like three hours in the wrong country because of a weather delay and it was bad. I'm terrified and I keep over and over and over and over again telling God I will not go. But the thing is, is God may have a humongous purpose for me over there in Nepal and I will miss out on sharing the gospel if I'm not brave enough to go and get out of my comfort zone and go to a place that makes me uncomfortable. It's also the same thing that, that prevents me from telling my best friend about Jesus because I have to go to a place that makes me uncomfortable. Sometimes God is going to take you out of the place that you are and move you to a place that doesn't make any sense, that may seem like a bad situation, may be completely out of your comfort zone and not what you wanna do, but we have to understand that when we give our lives to Christ, it doesn't matter what we want anymore. It's not about you. It's about God's purpose and his plan. It's about him. It's all about Jesus Christ. It can never be about us and we have to die to that self every single day. And so whenever he says go, our default has to be, when do you need me there? 
There are no challenges that are too great. There are no situations that are too big. There are no circumstances that are too hard to get over. If Jesus says go, he'll meet you there and he'll walk with you through it. Paul was able to go and do amazing things because he was willing to move. And then lastly, Paul was able to say yes to his commission. When Jesus said, set aside for me Barnabas and Saul, I've got a great purpose for them. I'm gonna send them out to be missionaries to the Gentile nation. Paul says, I'm here, Lord, send me. I'm here, Lord, send me. He's willing to say yes. He's willing to say yes to whatever it was. Paul could have short-circuited the plan for, for, that he had for his life. He could have stood in his own way. But he didn't. And he allowed God to move and he said yes to God every single time. And so my question this morning as the band comes back up is where are you at this morning, church? What's got you stopped? What's got you sitting at a stop sign waiting to move? Do you not know how to study the word? That's not a bad thing. Find somebody. We will send you somebody if you need somebody. But you've got to spend time in the word. You've got to spend time learning about who Jesus is. You've got to. Have hardships stopped you? Have situations stopped you that have been too tough? Well, then I challenge you to do this this morning. This is weird and this is awkward. But I pray that you would come down here and try to find some forgiveness for whatever has happened to you. And here's the, the next step. If it's been somebody in this church, I pray that during this altar call, you go to them and work that out because no situation between two believers should ever hinder the work of the gospel. And I got news for you. You're gonna spend eternity with them, so you might as well get used to them now. So hardships that you need to get past. Is God telling you to go somewhere that you just refuse to go? I pray that you would come down to this altar and, and pray that God would give you the bravery and the courage to go. One of my life verses is somebody that deals with anxiety and fear is, is is have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? But do not be afraid for I'm with you wherever you go. Pray for that courage. Pray for that boldness. And then lastly, if you've been telling God no for whatever he's given you a purpose and a passion to do, I pray that you would find strength at this altar this morning to tell him yes. So as the band plays, wherever you are, don't leave this place without fixing it and finding out what your next step is. God always wants us to be moving. And if you've been stagnant, well, you've been stagnant for too long. Father, I love you so, so much. And I'm thankful for the message, God. And I, I pray that it, it kicks somebody's butt the way that it kicked mine. God, that you would move in the people of this church. God, if we want to be a church that's growing and not just for new life, but for for the big C church, God, for the global church, to stop just evangelizing church people and, and adding to our numbers with just church people. We need to be going after the lost like crazy. God, we need to be filling this room with people that are, are new converts. We should be using the Holy Spirit inside of us to, to go after the friends of ours that are lost. God, those are the people we should be bringing into the church. God, but it takes us taking the steps and walking the walk and, and giving you the answer yes 
over and over again to whatever it is you call us to do, no matter hardships or situations are uncomfortable, God, break people in this room. Move in people in this room. God, I pray that if there's forgiveness that needs to be, that needs to be had in this room, God, that you would fill somebody with grace. God, because bitterness is an evil thing that keeps us locked away forever. God, and I pray that you would help break chains this morning. God, so please, please move. Shame I pray. Amen. This altar is open. I'm here to talk if you need me. But if you'll stand and worship with us.